Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Virtue Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Shelley Hurley, and I'm here to share with you some simple tips or tools to enrich your Bible study. We've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat. I know if I've been eating junk food, I feel terrible afterwards. Maybe not during, but afterwards. I'm on a constant fight to keep my blood sugar and my cholesterol in check. But what about my spirit? What about my soul? Am I eating spiritual junk food? What am I feeding on throughout the day? Is it a constant source of news, Netflix, or social media? Am I starving my soul or feeding my soul? Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, Amplified Version, It is written and forever remains written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The Bible is food for our soul. Everything we need to know in order to live and grow is found in the pages of God's Word. Ronald Reagan said, Within the covers of one single book, the Bible are all the answers to all the problems that face us today, if only we would read and believe. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. What riches we have in the Word of God. The Word of God is our treasure chest. You know, when my youngest granddaughter was five years old, I took her to dance class, and at the end, they got a little prize. She said, if I get one more sticker, I get to open up the treasure chest. And she was so excited. Are we that excited to open up the treasure chest of God's word? The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. We have the word of truth. Every word is faithful and true. We can trust in it. We can depend upon it. And oh, how we need the truth today. The word of God himself, our standard and our plumb line to measure everything by. In Ephesians 6, the word of God is also called the sword of the spirit. And we need it to combat and fight against the lies and temptations of the enemy that are coming our way constantly through the world. What we see on TV what we're being taught in our schools through social media. We have the more sure word of prophecy, 2 Peter 1.19. Everything that is predicted is 100% accurate. All God's promises are yes and amen. Not one will fail. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and powerful. In fact, since it's living, the word of God has the power to leap off the pages and into our hearts and minds. Job said in Job 23.12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Do we prize God's word? Do we treasure God's word, love God's word? Is God's word our daily bread? In 2 Kings chapter 22, King Josiah sent his high priest, Hilkiah, to go get the money that had been gathered for the repair of the house of the Lord. And while he was there, he found the book of the law, and he read it and gave it to King Josiah, who read it and tore his clothes in response because he saw how far they had fallen in failure to keep God's word. God was and is more interested in repairing hearts than buildings. It's his word that is the greatest treasure. It was his word they needed to repair the house of God. Even before I received Jesus as my Savior, I found a Bible on the shelf in our house, which no one ever read. 
and I just started reading it, and I couldn't believe what was in there. God's word was living, and it just jumped off the pages straight into my heart. He began to speak to me, and he started to draw me by his word. I didn't know what to do yet, though, so as I continued to seek him, one day he brought me to a movie theater where, unbeknownst to me, there was a Billy Graham movie playing, and I went forward and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior that day, and since then, I could not get enough of his word. I carried my Bible around with me everywhere I went. It was with a big cover on it, a big leather cover with a big Maranatha dove all over it. I brought it to my classroom. I brought it everywhere I went. I couldn't get enough of God's word. I began to devour it. And you know, I have to say that it is word that changed me. I went from walking in complete spiritual darkness to walking in the light. He changed my vocabulary. He changed my desires. He changed my whole pattern of life. But I have to say that it was years later when I began a women's Bible study after having my three kids that I really learned how to dig deeper and discover these rich truths for myself. And God began an even deeper transformation in me. And I embarked on this journey of being a lifelong student of God's word. You know, as I hear his voice speaking to me through the pages of his living word, he is constantly changing and transforming me, teaching me not just how to hear, but how to obey his word, how to live it out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Amplified Version says, All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience. For training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are transformed into virtuous women as we behold Jesus through his word. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That word transformed in the Greek is the same root word that we get our word metamorphosis from, just like a caterpillar that turns into butterfly. Webster's definition of this is, it is a complete change of form, substance, appearance, or character, as if by magic. <laughs> um, we know where that transformation really comes from, right? It's not magic. It's a change on the outside that comes from the inside. We are transformed from earthly to heavenly, from temporal to eternal, by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As we gaze upon the Lord through the mirror of his word, he renews our minds. He transforms our hearts and lives so that we become more and more like him in his character and his likeness. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That old King James word there, study, means to be diligent, to make every effort to do one's best, be eager. The opposite is to neglect, be forgetful, forsake, let go, delay, or be lazy. 
Which definition describes me and my Bible study habits? Hebrews 11.6 says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God reveals himself to us through the pages of scripture as we diligently seek him. You know, I love to work with tools. In fact, my kids bought me a giant rolling toolbox for my 60th birthday. I've built fences, put up molding and houses, laid floors, painted, put in sprinklers, etc., etc. But I know that if you don't have the right tools for the job, it becomes 10 times more difficult. So today, let's look at some simple tools to help us diligently study God's Word. As we dive down deep, we discover those riches and gems that the Lord has for us. The best power tool is the Word of God itself. So the number one tool is to pick a Bible. We are blessed to have so many choices these days, aren't we? You need to just pick one that's right for you. A good study Bible is great in the translation of your choosing. One maybe one that has great notes, cross-referencing, and a good concordance in the back. You know, I have one I'd had for a long time, New King James Version. And I also like to use Thompson's Chain Reference and other Bibles. I like to read in the New Believers, New Living Translation, or maybe in the Amplified Version as well. Second point is have a plan. Without a plan, we are setting ourselves up for failure. We need to have a reading plan, not just playing Bible roulette where you kind of haphazardly open your Bible and point a finger and just say, I think I'll read there today. You know, there are many different Bible reading plans listed online. You can read through the Bible in one year if you just read 15 minutes a day. You can use the one-year Bible if you want. I happen to have a chart in mine that isn't a one-year Bible, in my regular Bible, that takes me through the Bible through a year. Or maybe you would just like to take it slower and read through the New Testament. Or you can dig into a book of the Bible and really chew on it. Maybe start with a small one. We want to be able to dig for ourselves and feed ourselves and not just to be spoon-fed. You know, in your plan, pick a time. Before I eat my physical food during the day, I like to eat my spiritual food. Pick an undistracted time where you can be alone and not just read, but choose to really study His Word. Pick a quiet place, preferably a spot without reminders of all the things you still need to attend to during the day, your laundry, your dishes. And this is a huge one. Set the phone aside with all its chirps, tweets, alerts, text threads, and Instagram pics. Our phone can be our friend or our foe. So often if I try to read my Bible on my phone, I'll get an alert. Someone just posted on Instagram. And I'll look. And before you know it, I've gone down a rabbit hole and 20 minutes are gone. Friend or foe, you choose. I have a basket prepared with devotions, my Bible, journal, my glasses nearby, and a pen. I also have a study set up with other versions and reference books and Bible dictionaries and a whole host of reference tools, good concordance. But if you want, you can pick some of these and put them in your basket as well. And be patient. We can't learn everything about a passage in one sitting, but you can go back to it. We learn a little at a time, like a child as he grows. Don't be too hard on yourself. We learn precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. We learn layer upon layer, and the more we learn, the more we realize how much more there is to learn, right? You can never exhaust the riches of God. Now that I've got the prepared place, now I need a prepared heart. 
The most important power tool before you begin to delve into God's Word is prayer. I need to pray, Lord, prepare my heart. God says, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 33, 3. My response should be, open my eyes, Lord, that I might see wondrous things from your word. Or pray as David in Psalm 27, 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. I need to ask him for a heart ready to receive. I need to pray that he would quiet my heart, that I might hear him in his still small voice. When my kids were younger, they had a teacher. When she wanted to speak to them, and it was something really important, she would all of a sudden start speaking in a really quiet voice, and she would start whispering to them. And all of a sudden, the classroom would get still and quiet, and they would lean in and press in because they knew that she had something important to say. Well, God has something important to say to you today. Do I have a mind ready to learn? Do I have a will ready to apply? I need to pray before, and I need to pray during, and I need to pray as I end. I need to continue in that mindset of not just studying for knowledge's sake, but knowing that I am actually in the presence of the author himself. When I open God's word, he speaks. In 1 Corinthians 2, we read that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, so we need, our fourth point is, the power of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.12, we read that now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit teaches us all things in John 14.26, and His Holy Spirit leads us into all truth in John 16. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to understand his word. And I love how every time I read a passage, the Holy Spirit speaks to me in a different and a fresh way. And it's that Holy Spirit that gives me the power to obey God's word as I hear it. Our fifth point is you need to read with purpose. I want to retain what I read. So I need to come with pen, colored pencils or highlighters in hand, a notebook, and a journal. Don't be afraid to underline. As I underline, highlight, and journal or write down, it helps God's Word to become a part of me. It helps me remember what I've read. I need to ask myself three different things. What does the passage say? What does the passage mean? And how does the meaning of the passage apply to me? Or read, reflect, and respond. As I read... What does the passage say? So often, if I'm studying, I read and I reread a text if I really want to understand it. When I do this, I'll be surprised at what comes jumping off the page. This is what I do as I study to teach. I continually pray as I ask the Lord to speak to me as I read and reread the text, looking for the obvious things first. First, look at the whole book or the whole passage in one sitting. It's kind of like doing a puzzle. You want to see the big picture first, and then after you put the corner pieces in, then the edge pieces, then the objects with those bright colors that stand out, then you can see clear to put in those obscure pieces, those ones that didn't quite make sense before, and the picture all becomes plain to you once you do it. 
If you don't understand something, write down your questions and ask the Lord to reveal his truth to you. Ask yourself the five W's and an H. Who wrote it? Why did he write it? What was his purpose? What was going on during this time? When was it written? You can look for key words. I like to make lists. What does the passage say about God? And write down everything you learned about God in that passage. What does it say about Jesus? What were the instructions to the recipients? Write down any repeated words or phrases, contrasts, or comparisons. If you come objectively to the Word of God and let the text speak for itself, laying these foundations, then you'll be able to interpret accurately. And then as I go to that second part, what does the passage mean? Reflect on it. We want to handle the Word of God accurately, not just taking things out of context. And you know, just as I get excited over good tools, I get even more excited over good study tools. I love good study tools that help us to open up my understanding to the scriptures. Here's where you can use your reference books, your concordance, your Greek and Hebrew dictionaries, maybe if you have some topical study books. If you don't know how to use them, ask someone at church. They would love to show you how. Number one tool is an exhaustive concordance like Strong's or Zodiades. You can look up the different words because sometimes our English version is inferior to the Hebrew or the Greek versions, which go into a greater detail. And sometimes the same word that we see in English is a different word in the Hebrew or the Greek. It's good to use these tools to cross-reference as well, to look up that same word that is seen throughout the Bible. If you want to do a word study, let scripture interpret scripture. The Bible, the word of God, will never contradict itself, and so the best interpretation for scripture is other scripture. To accurately handle the word of God, look for all the places in the Bible where this subject is taught. Do you want to do a topical study on prayer? Knaves is a good book, or maybe Vines, or maybe Baker, Topical Guide to the Bible. If I just read one verse about prayer and I don't take in the whole counsel of God, I can be led astray. For example, if I just read in John 15, 7, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Does this mean that God is my magic genie and will do anything I ask? No. First read the whole verse. What does this mean? Is there a condition to be met? And look up other verses. 1 John 5, 14 says that we need to ask in accordance with God's will. And in James 4.3, we see we need to ask with the right motivation. Sometimes when I don't quite understand a passage, I found that just looking it up in a different translation helps, such as the Amplified or the New Living Translation. I recently had a young friend who had just renewed her heart and came back to the Lord and just started really studying the Bible. She was going through Luke, and she came across a passage she didn't understand. And she said, what does it mean when it says that we're supposed to hate our mother and our father, our brother or sister? Well, in Luke 14, 26, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciples. It sounds harsh, right? Sound harsh to her. You know, I shared with her what it meant in comparison with our attitude towards God. We are to love God and put him first. And as we do this, he gives us a hundred times more love for our father, our mother, our wife, our children, our brothers and sisters. We are to keep him first and foremost. So, 
Just reading this in a different translation can help give you a whole different picture of what this passage means. In the Amplified, it says, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them, or in comparison with his attitude toward God. So here we see a whole different picture when we look at just in the Amplified version. Commentaries are great, but only after I've studied for myself and asked the Lord to speak to me what he would like to say to me and after I've mined these treasures for myself. I usually check different commentaries just to make sure that I haven't gone totally off rails with what I feel like God has showed me. You know, if you want to learn more of how to really do a great inductive Bible study, I would highly recommend How to Study the Bible by K. Arthur. And also, there's so many online study tools today. On my phone, I have Version, Blue Letter Bible, Bible Gateway, Bible Hub. With both of these, you can access different word study tools as well for free. I have great computer programs that I love, the Logos program, and there are others, QuickVerse, Word Search. You know, no matter how much you know about God's Word, though, if you don't apply what you've learned, the Bible will never benefit your life. I need to ask myself, how does the meaning of this passage apply to me? I need to ask myself, is there a command I need to obey? Is there a sin I need to confess, a principle I need to follow, a promise I can receive, or conditions to be met in order for a promise to be fulfilled? I need to respond to God's word. Pray and ask the Lord to search my heart and how I might apply this passage to my life. I need to ponder his word. That's our sixth point. Pray for the Lord to give me something to chew on during the day. Memorize his word. With their addresses, that really is helpful. I used to carry around flip cards with me to memorize scripture. Meditate on his word throughout the day. This word needs to murmur. Have his word in your mouth. You know, if we want to speak a word in season to him who is weary, it's good to have God's word on our mouth and in our heart. As I memorize and meditate and hide his word in my heart, he keeps me from sin. It gives me comfort in trouble. God's word stays my mind on God. It provides daily sustenance for spiritual life, and it provides continual and daily guidance in all situations of life. And if we do this, if we meditate on his word, we will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever we do will prosper. We need to read with purpose and for a purpose. I read and study so that I might know the author of the book and that God would change me and transform me into his image through the washing of water by the word. As I behold him through the mirror of his word, I'm changed into his likeness. You know, we have a feast laid before us, and God has an open invitation for us to come and dine with him as we feast on his word. I wrote a poem one time in response to an application question when I was doing a study in 2 Timothy why is scripture profitable? And it said, be creative in your answer. This is my response to that application question. If the creator has taken the time to speak through his prophets of old and writing so pure and prophecies sure and treasuries full of pure gold, then I must take hold of these precious gems and hide them deep down within so that I might be changed, my life rearranged and kept from the power of sin. 
God calls me to battle as the enemy prowls, but first I must put on my armor, to fight like a good soldier, to compete as an athlete, and then to work hard as the farmer. His word is a light and a lamp for my feet. It guides me throughout the noonday. And in darkness of night, his words hold me tight, for without them I surely would stray. So, Lord, open my heart as I open your word and gaze on your glorious face. Renew me, transform me, equip and restore me, and fill me with your grace. Amen.